In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. We have waited over 40 days to do that. Waited through a long Lent where we have walked with the Lord as He has made His way to Jerusalem, as He has prepared us for His sacrifice upon the cross. We have waited with the disciples as they entered into Jerusalem and as they watched as the chief priests and the scribes prepared to arrest Him. We uh, waited with them in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus prayed for us, prayed to take our sins upon Himself. We waited with them as he was arrested. We waited with them as he was tried and as he was crucified upon the cross. And we have waited with these myrrh-bearing women, with these faithful women who sat and waited for their opportunity to minister to the Lord. And now with them we have received this proclamation, this knowledge that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that means that he has taken us up out of the grave. He has taken us up out of hell and damnation and the consequences of sin and he has raised us up into everlasting life with him. We are sharing with his resurrection this day and forevermore. We have to wait. We continue to wait for the Lord uh, because the Lord is not done with this. He is continuing to work with us and to grow us, to fill us with His Holy Spirit. And we have to continue waiting upon Him for this revelation to grow more and more into our hearts and our minds as He shapes us and molds us into His people. Isaiah knew this. Isaiah was waiting upon the Lord. Indeed, Isaiah was 800 years before the coming of Christ. And he told us to wait for the Lord. And we waited for two things. The prophet Isaiah says that we are waiting for him to swallow up death. This he has accomplished. He swallowed up death by taking our sin upon himself in the garden through the high priestly prayer. He gathered all of the sin of the world to himself and he swallowed it up. And we are waiting for him to set for us this feast, this eternal feast that we read takes place on his holy mountain, his holy mountain, Jerusalem. And that feast is a feast of well-aged wine and of meat with marrow. And indeed, this is the, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has set for us this feast that we are about to receive, to receive the body and blood of Christ. And so it has been accomplished. He swallowed up death. And he has given us this feast of his body and blood and of everlasting life. And if we continue to wait upon him, the knowledge and the realization of his resurrection and the knowledge and realization of the feast that is strengthening our hearts and our minds and our souls will seep into us more and more and change us so that we are this new creation with Christ. The myrrh-bearing women are a group that sometimes we we forget. Sometimes when we think about Jesus walking uh, through Judea, we think about him as this kind of solitary figure. And occasionally we might think of the apostles that kind of stand behind him. But this really isn't the picture that the Gospels paint of Jesus at all. The picture that the Gospels paint is one of hundreds of people surrounding Jesus and walking with him. So much so that he has to uh, take these little opportunities in the middle of the night and during storms to kind of go away because he's 
impressed upon by this group. Sure, there's the 12 apostles, but remember also the 70 that are gathered around him. So now we've got the 12 plus the 70. And then this great group that includes his mother and his brothers and sisters, who are the uh, sons and daughters of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And now along with them, we have the women, this large group of women that had been with Jesus since his baptism that includes his mother and Mary Magdalene and the mother of James and John and Salome. And all these women are always gathered around Jesus and they're ministering constantly uh, to those who are around them. And their, their focus upon him is incredible. In fact, they show a kind of bravery that the rest of the disciples don't show, don't they? They are there at the cross. They are close by when Jesus is crucified. After Peter had denied him and the rest of them had been scattered, these brave and courageous women stand at the cross and they watch as St. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take Jesus down and take him into the tomb and bury him. They watch standing across from the tomb so that they can see exactly where it is that they're going to go uh, on that first day of the week. And so we wait with those faithful women as they receive the news on that early day, as they wake up early. It's striking, isn't it, that they wake up so early to go immediately to the tomb as soon as they can. And when they go, they find that the tomb is empty and the angel of the Lord announcing that he is resurrected just as he said he would. He had been telling them over and over again, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Everyone knew it and here they have the resurrected Christ uh, immediately known to them. And it says that they are afraid, but that fear is immediately resolved, immediately in seeing Jesus in the garden. And they go and they tell the apostles, and they tell Peter specifically. And this is one of the, the wonderful things about uh, the resurrection, that fear seems to melt away. That fear that had seemed to consume them, that fear that often can consume us and can keep us from acting, has been melted away, and they become apostles to the apostles. The myrrh-bearing women are apostles to the apostles. They're the ones that first proclaim the risen Lord. They're the ones that teach Peter and the disciples about the risen Lord. And they're the ones that call Peter by name. Why is Peter singled out? Is it because of, of how faithful he was? The opposite. He's singled out because of his rejection of Christ. And Jesus is saying, yes, I've risen for you too. Even for us, if we have rejected the Lord or we have fallen short, as each of us has, He has risen for us and He calls each of us by name to be new creatures in Him, to have new bodies and to have new spirits and new minds so that we can serve Him in all that we do. And they boldly proclaim His name throughout the world. We see stages in the lives of the myrrh-bearing women and stages in the lives of the apostles as they grow bolder and bolder. We see Peter finally at the, at the Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate in 50 days, have the boldness to proclaim Christ and he proclaims it to the Jews in Jerusalem. And then we see him grow bolder after that so that he moves out from Jerusalem and he begins to travel. And then finally on the day that's recorded here in the Acts of the Apostles, just a few years after the resurrection, the Lord makes him even more bold. Do you see how the Lord isn't done with him, how he continues to, to grow Peter in a new kind of boldness and courage? You remember that Peter is praying and the Lord gives him this vision of these animals on this tablecloth and he says, rise up and eat. And Peter says, oh no, I won't do that, Lord. I keep 
uh, a holy Jewish uh, custom of, of only eating these pure foods. And the Lord tells him three times until finally Peter understands that he has made all things clean. And immediately when he recognizes that, he hears the knock at the door and these servants are inviting him to go to Cornelius. Cornelius is two things that Peter was not supposed to have contact with. He is a Gentile and he is a Roman. This is the last group that those who had been with Jesus would want to consort with, would want to be in the homes with. It was against the law for them to be in a Roman's home. It was against the law for them to be in a soldier's home, and especially to be in a Gentile's home, where they would be offered food. This is the way in the ancient world. When a traveler comes to your home, you immediately serve him. There's no way that Peter would have been allowed to eat because of those food customs. But here the Lord had immediately made all things clean and then sends Peter off to Cornelius' house. This portion that we have from chapter 10 is that sermon that Peter preaches to those Gentiles that are gathered in the house. And he says, oh, I understand. He says the gospel is not just for the Jews. The resurrection is not just for the nation of Israel. It's for all people who fear God. Isn't that interesting? Because we've been talking about how we become more bold, we become more courageous, but then Peter says, it's for people who fear God. But he qualifies what that means. He says, people who fear God and live in righteousness. See, when we fear God, rather than fearing the world or other people, then we live in righteousness. It's, it's the way that we, uh, that we approach God in life. When we have a proper fear of Him, we live in the righteousness of God. Think of uh, the fear that we might have of fire, or the fear that we might have of electricity. We have a healthy, proper fear of fire. We're not going to go and put our fingers in it. We're not going to misuse it. We're going to use it for warming our homes and for cooking our food. The same with electricity. We have a proper fear of it. We know that there's a special way that we're supposed to use it. And when we do, we get incredible blessings. The fear of God is the same way. When we approach God in the right way and we're ready to live lives of holiness and righteousness, to be restored by Him and to be purified by Him, then we're ready to approach him with that proper fear to receive lives of righteousness and this is exactly who Cornelius is he has feared God and wanted to approach him and righteousness and then Peter says there's no obstacle between you and baptism you can come and be baptized what kind of love did those women have to have to get up so early necessity had been fulfilled what was necessary to be done for Jesus' body had been accomplished. It was necessary that he be wrapped. It was necessary that he be laid in the tomb. It was necessary that those um, ointments that they had used uh, be applied to his body. But they weren't interested in just what's necessary. They wanted out of love to minister to Jesus. And this is the kind of love that we get through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are filled with a love that makes us more bold and more courageous than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. It allows us to go out from our homes, to go to places that once we might have thought of being scary or dangerous or not suitable for us, and we're able to touch those who are sick, and we're able to minister to those who are foreign to us, and we're able to do bold and courageous things because of the love of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a love that transforms us and that strengthens our hearts and minds as we go out into the mission field. 
Each of us is going into the mission field today. Each of us, when we leave these doors, is being sent out into the world that is desperate to know about the love of God, to know about a love that will transform them and make them courageous and bold, not cowering in fear, but ready to do amazing things. Megan, the Lord is going to come into your heart in a few minutes in a way that he has never before. He's going to fill your heart and your mind, and he's never going to be done with you. He's going to grow more and more in you, and your heart and your mind are going to be filled with his love for you. You'll never, ever be alone. The Lord will always be with you. You'll always know his love, and that love will make you bold and courageous.